I'm going to read from Isaiah 50, if you want to uh, turn to that in your Bible or your device or something uh, like that. We're, um, we've been looking at standing firm, and stand firm is our, our theme until we get fed up of it, but it's uh, going well so far. But um, I'm looking at Isaiah, and Isaiah the prophet is a guy, I don't know much about him, but he's looking into the future where he sees the Messiah, the Savior, and with remarkable clarity, he describes some of the awful things that Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, will experience uh, later on. He not only describes the awful things that Jesus was going through, he also gets a grasp of the strength of determination that Jesus will have, uh, that Jesus displays in his journey of going to the cross for every single one of us. And Isaiah 50 verse uh, 4 says this, The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The Sovereign Lord has opened my ears, and I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I have offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting, because the Sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. Underline that in your Bible. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. That's a powerful uh, prophecy by, by Isaiah, uh, Isaiah there, talking about some of the awful things that Jesus is going through, but talking about the determination that Jesus has got. He sets his face like a flint. 800 years later, 800 years later, Luke is writing his gospel. And we find it in chapter 9, verse 51. Luke writes this. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. The English Standard Version says this, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That term of phrase, he set his face. Isaiah says he set his face like a flint. And Luke says, Jesus set his face. Isaiah the prophet and Luke the gospel writer are stressing the determination that Jesus had 
to die for you and for me. The determination that Jesus had to sacrifice himself for you and for me. The determination that Jesus had to set each and every one of us free from sin. And the determination that Jesus had to spend the rest of eternity with every single one of us or every single person that gives their heart and their life to Jesus. In other words, Jesus stood firm. Jesus stood firm in his mission. We've, we've talked in the weeks uh, gone by about how we stand firm. But this morning, I want to talk about how Jesus stood firm for you and I. He knew his mission was to do this. He could have decided, if he wanted to, that his teaching was going so well and that quite a, a, a bunch of people were following him right now. He literally had them eating out of his hands, he could have decided that that was enough. But like Isaiah, Jesus had a greater perspective. Isaiah, he couldn't have known that it would take 800 years for his prophecy to be fulfilled. But Jesus knew what he was going to do was for all eternity. That's why Jesus had set his face, because he had eternal uh, consequences. Once and for all, as the writer to the Hebrews would put it. Hebrews 7, 27 says this, Unlike those other high priests, he, Jesus, does not need to offer sacrifices every day. They did this for their own sins first, and then for the sins of the people. But Jesus did this once and for all when he offered himself as the sacrifice for the people's sins. When we had a pretty decent hallway, and not the hallway that we've got now, because it's uh, a dumping ground for everything, because we're renovating our house at the moment, we had a little picture on the wall that uh, was a little reminder from our trips to see our friends Steve and Helen out in Nepal. And... Um, on this one little picture, there was a, a, a picture of a, a father and a son. Amos was the son and Rupa was the dad. And this is about 10, 12 years ago. Rupa this, uh, was not the birth father of Amos. One day, Rupa was walking alongside the river and he saw a sack floating on the water. He dived in to the river and he rescued the sack. And inside the sack were two babies, Amos and his twin brother, who tragically had already down, drowned. But Amos was saved from a certain death. He was brought back to life. The writer to the Ephesians says this, once you were dead because of your sins, because of your disobedience and many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By, the very, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. 
in the preceding chapter in Ephesians 1, Paul tells us how God has chosen, he's chosen every single one of us even before he created the world. It's always been his plan to spend eternity with us. And it gives him great pleasure to do that. And Paul, here as he's writing to the Ephesians, tells us that once we were dead, powerless to do anything, we were unable to come back to life. He's describing our spiritual state. Just as like when we're physically dead, we're unable to do anything about it. When we're spiritually dead, we're also unable to do anything about coming back alive. We're dead. We're unable to lift ourselves out. Doomed forever. Why? Ephesians says, because of our many sins. The book of Romans tells us that every single one of us has sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we're honest, if we examine our own hearts, we know it's true. We know that we're sinful. We all sin because we have a sin problem. Humanity is broken. We see it on the news every single night. Adam and Eve first sinned. And ever since that original sin, uh, 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 that original sin has been inherited by all humanity. And we all live under the compulsion to ignore God and to live our own way making our own choices, our own rebellious choices. And like that little boy bound up in that sack, we were unable to escape. But verse 2 of of Ephesians 2 says this, uh, we were like everybody else doing our own thing, naively obeying Satan, refusing to obey God, following the passions and desires of our fallen nature. In Colossians 2, Paul puts it like this. You were dead because of your sins and your selfish nature. So, we were bound up in the sack of sin, being swept along, swept down that river of self and Satan, and really to a certain death. Verse 3 says this. It explains that we were under God's anger or under God's wrath as a result. What does that actually mean? Obviously, if we're living an opposite, rebellious, unholy, selfish way to what a loving, holy, righteous God intended, he knows that that will damage us. He knows that that will take us to a godless eternity. And his anger burns at that sin and that rebelliousness. But Paul continues because he says this, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead it's only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as an example of his incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us being united 
with Christ Jesus. Remember, Isaiah and Luke tell us how determined Jesus was to go to the cross. And Paul tells us that God chose us before the creation of the world. And John, in his gospel, declares, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. He came into our broken, sinful world. He came from the perfection of heaven. And he loved us so much that he came into this broken world. He came to our rescue. When we were drowning in that sack of sin, bound up and being swept along, he plunged into our world. Romans 5 verse 6 says this, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Such was the torrent of sin. Jesus gave his life by dying on the cross, paying the price of sin and making it possible for you and I to be saved by his death and resurrection. We've heard about Pancake Day. What's Wednesday? Valentine's Day. What? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> it's Ash Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. But Valentine's Day is a day where you declare your love. You declare your love for people. And when you declare your love, you show them your love. I wonder what you're going to do to show your love to your Valentine. I've got a friend who, uh, well, I had a friend. He's passed away now. But um, he fell in love with a girl at Bible college. And uh, she was uh, a Swiss Italian. She was pretty good looking, I must admit. And, um, and he thought a great way to uh, impress her would be to serenade her by moonlight. And uh, he decided that he didn't want to rely on a full moon or anything like that. He decided it would be great if his mate, me, would crawl along the ledge underneath her dormitory window with a spotlight... And when he gave the signal, I'd put the spotlight on, light him up on the ground with his guitar, and he would serenade her. And some of you know Paul Sinclair. That's exactly what he would do. And um, so I crawled along the little ledge with this big lamp, and he got his guitar ready and stared up at Barbara's window, and he gave me the nod, and I put the, the lamp on. And every moth and daddy long legs <laughs> just covered me, absolutely covered me. And he started singing his song, and I was swatting this, these daddy long legs as away. And this lamp was going here, there, and everywhere. And Barbara was not impressed. <laughs> and she didn't go out with him. And he was heartbroken for a while, but he got over it. But Jesus showed us his love by giving us his life. Verse 5 says this, For it is by grace you have been saved. And Paul repeats that again in verse 8. But he adds, and this is not from yourselves. It's nothing that you've done to deserve it. 
It's all from Jesus Christ. We, we could not save ourselves from the river of sin. God is the only one who can do it. His grace has saved us. Grace is God's gift. It's his special favor. Those of us who have been in the faith long enough will know the acronym GRACE, G, God's, R, Riches, A, AT, C, Christ, E, Expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jesus gave his life for us to experience God's riches. And 1 John 4 says this, this is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And he sent us his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Let's be amazed this morning, folks, by the determination that Jesus had to give his life for every single one of us. It was something that probably wasn't easy for him to do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweated blood as he wrestled with his own emotions and his mission. But he set his face. He set his face like a flint. He stood firm for you and for me. He stood firm so that all our sins could be forgiven. He stood firm so that our slate could be wiped clean. He stood firm so that our debt could be paid in full. He stood firm so that our history could be deleted. He stood firm so that we could be born again. He stood firm so that Satan and his demons could be defeated. He stood firm so that we could be made alive in Christ Jesus. He stood firm so that we could be adopted into his family. Jesus stood firm so that we could be called the children of God. He stood firm so that we could know how deep the joy is that God can give us. It's an unspeakable joy. He stood firm so that we might know the peace that passes all understanding in every situation. He stood firm so that we would experience and know, uh, the love that knows no bounds. He stood firm so that we could be seated in heavenly realms. He stood firm so that our eternity could be secure. How many more of these? He stood firm so that nothing could separate us from the love of God. He stood firm so that you and I could know this God. Jesus stood firm. He set his face like a flint. Let me invite you for a moment to reflect. Ask yourself, is Jesus my savior? If he stood firm to accomplish all this for me, am I going to turn my back on him? Am I really going to walk away when Jesus did all that? Let me encourage you this morning. Don't walk out of this place without really considering that. Consider accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior this morning because he has saved you from so much. But not only has he saved you from so much, he has saved you 
towards so much also. We are saved from sin if we accept him as Lord and Savior, but we are saved also to inherit all that God wants us to have. Scripture is full of promises. The whole Bible is full of promises that God originally gave to his people Israel. They let him down time and time again and forfeited a lot of those promises due to their rebellious ways. But we have been graciously chosen and we have inherited the promises of faithfulness, hope, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. He has saved us towards all this. It says in Ephesians 2, carrying on, Therefore remember that, you for, uh, that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called the uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, set aside in the flesh the law and its commands and regulations. So his purpose, Paul goes on to say, was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his Holy Spirit. We are saved towards being filled by the Holy Spirit. Are you filled by the Holy Spirit this morning? Did you come forward last week? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? If you didn't receive the Holy Spirit, let me encourage you. Carry on praying. Carry on praying. When I was a, a, a young fella, I heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I wanted to be able to, to speak in tongues. I wanted to know that God was real. And uh, I spent a whole week, every single night, praying for God to fill me with the Holy Spirit. And every single night, I'd pray and pray and pray and ask him, and nothing would seem to happen. And I'd go to sleep really fed up and thinking that, well, God obviously doesn't want to give it to me. And yet, I knew that that verse that says God doesn't give you anything bad when you ask for something good. So the next night, I would pray again. And I'd say, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit. And I'd wait and wait, and nothing would happen. And I got to the end of the week, and I was really fed up and really pretty disappointed. And we came on the Sunday to church, and the pastor announced that we had a guest speaker that, mo uh, that particular morning, and he was going to preach about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, wow, that's what I've been praying for all week, but nothing's happened. And the guy preached 
uh, about baptism of the Holy Spirit. And he said, I'm going to invite you forward to come at the end. And he got to the end of his sermon. And uh, I just found myself in the aisle walking forward. And as I was walking forward uh, down, down the aisle to come to the front to be prayed for, some strange words started coming out of my mouth. And I carried on speaking them. And I thought, this is a bit strange. But then I thought, this is just so easy. This is nothing. I've been trying so hard all week. But this is just easy. And when I got to the front, the guy just looked at me and says, you can go and sit down. You've already got it. <laughs> Let me encourage you. If you're pressing into God, if you're praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't give up. You know, when my son wanted, well, a motorbike, I didn't just go out and buy him one. I wanted to know, was he going to look after it? I wanted to know, was he going to maintain it? I wanted to know, did he have the money to put the petrol in it? Because he weren't going to come to me all the time. I wanted to know he was going to be a good steward of it. If you're praying for the Holy Spirit, your Heavenly Father will give you the Holy Spirit. He will give it to you, but he wants to know, do you really mean it? Ephesians 5 says this, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs amongst yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at the beauty. Look at the beauty that God has and give thanks. Don't be so down. Don't be so negative. Look around you. From this Holy Spirit new life, we serve, we worship, and we please him as his children, in all that we do. So let me encourage you to reflect again. Jesus stood firm to save us from all that stuff. But he stood firm to save us towards all the good stuff as well. It's ours to inherit. Our enemy, the devil, will want to steal it. He will want to block it, to thwart it, or destroy it. But the Father wants it to grow in us. And he's looking for that hunger. And he's looking for people who want more of the Holy Spirit and to experience the fulfillment of it. Paul says this, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his Spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete in all the fullness of of life and power that comes from God. Let's bow our heads right now.
Jesus set his face like a flint. He was so determined. He knew where he was going. He knew that it was going to be excruciating. But he did it for you and for me. Maybe maybe it's never struck you before this morning how determined Jesus was to die for your sin. Maybe it's never occurred to you before how he set his face to go to that cross. Maybe you've never wondered about the love that enabled him to stand firm for you. As heads are bowed and our minds are focused, let me ask you this question this morning. Are you really going to walk away after hearing about Jesus' love for you? Are you really going to turn your back on Jesus? Or are you going to respond by believing that he did all this for you? Because the Bible says he did. The Bible says he did. And although many people would question the Bible, the truth of the Bible has stood for centuries and centuries. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This morning, God wants to see whether you're going to respond to him, whether you're going to realize that you are being dragged along by the current of sin and self. You're going to be trapped in that bag of sin forever. Or are you going to recognize that Jesus plunged into that river to rescue you? He hung on that cross to rescue you. This morning, will you respond to him? Will you say, Lord, I finally know what you did and you did it for me. Lord, I pray this morning. Lord, that we recognize all that you saved us from. And Lord, that we would so desire all that you have saved us to. Lord, help us not be somewhere in between. Lord, help us be passionately pressing in and desiring all the goodness that you have for us. But Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters here that as yet maybe have not responded. And Lord, I pray that you would move on their hearts by your Holy Spirit. They would know that your Holy Spirit is speaking to them right now. And Lord, that they would respond to you. Father, help them. While every head is bowed and my eyes are closed, maybe that's you this morning. I don't want to embarrass you whatsoever. But maybe it would be good for you if you just physically responded, showing me that this morning you want Jesus Christ in your life as your Lord and Savior. Is there anybody here? Just raise your hand. Thank you. Let me know if there's anybody else. Thank you. Thank you. You're not going to walk out this door knowing that Jesus did all that for you. You want that assurance that he has saved you for all that good stuff. Lord, I thank you.
for the four people that have raised their hands this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would be so real to them that they would know that their history now, history of sinful behavior, is deleted just like that. Their slate is wiped clean. And Lord, I pray that you would give them the same determination that you had, Lord, to press into you, to look to you, to own you as their Lord, and to walk in a way that you want them to. Lord, I pray that you would bless them, show yourself to them, and give them that assurance in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray, Lord, that as we, your people, journey with you, Lord, we want to say our hearts are so thankful that you stood firm for every single one of us. Lord, you stood firm even though you were going to a horrible death. But Lord, you stood firm through it all and you were raised to life. You conquered sin and death. You are our saviour. You are our Lord. And we all say, Amen. And the band come up. God bless